we cry out, Jesus. In our desperation, in our longing, we lift our eyes to the heavens. The Savior that was promised reached down to us, becoming flesh. At his entrance, they laid palms at his feet, as today, in his presence, we fall to our knees. We cry out to him, hanging on the cross, the righteous one whose blood broke the curse. With an act of love that saved our souls, overflowing redemption making us whole. No nail to the bones could hold him. No crown of thorns could shame him, because he is the one. No tomb could contain him. Death could not stop him. He conquered the grave and rose from death victorious. We cry out, Jesus, 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 you are the resurrection and the life. In you, all things come alive. We will forever declare the mighty power of your name. We cry out with everything we have. We need you, Savior, and nothing else, because in you, we are saved by grace. Your glory will shine upon the world, and every tongue will cry out, Jesus is the Lord. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today, and uh, despite my most earnest effort, uh, I have given a name to this uh, message, and, uh, and some of you will know why I was trying not to do this. Some of you may not. It's a, it's a, it's a nerdy reference, so I'll, I'll try not to get into it. But if, if I were to name this message, it would be called The Return of the King. So, yeah, The Return of the King. We'll get to that in a little bit later. But um, have you ever been expecting something, like something to happen in a certain way, only to find out it was not going to happen the way you wanted it to? Have you ever that happened to you, like expectation and reality did not really meet. It could be something as, you know, innocuous as a movie plot. The movie didn't take the, the twist that you thought it was going to take. Uh, another nerd reference, years and years and years ago when Star Wars first came out, no one thought Darth Vader was Luke's father. In fact, the cast didn't even know that. No one expected that, right? At least of all, Luke. Um, and I know that was a nerdy reference, so forgive me. But... Uh, Perhaps it was something more serious, like uh, an election didn't go the way you thought it would go, or there was a twist. I, some of you are like, why did you got to bring that up, Pastor Mike? But I'm just saying, <laughs> those things take turns that you don't expect, or they shouldn't, right? Or a twist in a relationship, or a betrayal of a friend. Perhaps you thought you met somebody, and you guys were going to be like best friends, like all of a sudden you have all these things in common, but they just didn't work out. Maybe you were incompatible, Right? Perhaps it's a new job that you thought was going to go just great. You're just perfectly fitted for this thing, and you find out you are not perfectly fitted for it, and you really hate the new job. Or it's a new boss. Finally, finally, the new boss that's going to understand me and, and do such a better job leading, and it doesn't work out. Or, or the other way around. Maybe you're expecting things to go poorly and they go good. The point is, have you ever expected one thing and got another? All right. Uh, it happens all the time. I, I remember uh, a movie called The Bucket List. Anybody ever see that movie? It's got Jack Nicholson in it and uh, he's the main character and he finds out that he has terminal cancer. 
And uh, he decides, it, because he has terminal cancer, he decides he's going to make a bucket list, things he wants to do before he kicks the bucket. And the list seemed really shallow at first because you get to know this character and he really is kind of shallow and he's not really what you would aspire to be like necessarily at the beginning of the movie. And one of the things on his wish list was that he would be able to dance with and, and kiss the most beautiful woman and girl in the world. And, and you think he's probably, I mean, just if you haven't seen the movie, just to kind of paint the picture for you, this is the kind of guy you think would maybe even hire a prostitute to be able to make that, that item on his list come true, okay? That's the kind of guy we're talking about that made that list. Well, somewhere along the way in the movie... Um, he actually gets reconciled to his, his daughter who he didn't have any kind of relationship with, uh, which was something that he wanted to, to fix before he passed. And in so doing, he got to meet his granddaughter and there was a scene where he dances with his granddaughter and she gives him a little kiss and he checks that off the list, dance with and kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. And you see that and that's a perfect illustration of something happening. It happened. He wrote down that he wanted this to happen. But boy, if you're watching the movie, you did not expect it to happen that way. And it kind of breaks you down. And you, maybe you cry a little bit. I don't cry. I get allergies sometimes in movies. But, um, but you know, they just uh, work up certain times. But, um, but that's a perfect example of what I'm trying to talk about. When you expect something to happen, it does happen. But it doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. It turns out differently. And today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day we commemorate the triumphal entry that kicks off the Holy Week. And it's the day that the Jews welcome Jesus into Jerusalem with this royal entry, and they waved the palms, and they, they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. And they threw their coats on the ground for his donkey to walk across into the, into the city. And they were expecting... Jesus, the Messiah, to come and establish a kingdom here on earth, and, uh, and that's what they were looking for. Now, they were expecting that to look a certain way. He was establishing a kingdom. He was establishing a kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. They were expecting him to establish Israel as a kingdom here on earth, and expecting him to deliver them from anyone else who would try to overrun them. And, and that's what they were expecting. So it didn't turn out the way they expected. But he was doing exactly what they thought he was doing. They just didn't understand that. Are you with me here? So that's what is almost, it's almost tragic when you look at the triumphal entry because they're all excited, they're all happy, and then it's just a few days later, not even a full week later, that he's crucified. And some of the same people in the same crowd probably were shouting, crucify him. It's, it's almost tragic. And unless you just, you, you miss this, this is really a picture of ourselves, there's many times in our life, and this is just a side note, this isn't part of the message, but there's many times in our life that we welcome Jesus into our life as king because we really need him to do something for us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I really, you know, I welcome him, him as king because he's going to get me out of this mess. He's going to fix my marriage. He's going to fix my bills. He's going to do these things. And Ultimately, he, he is the Lord of all, and he will work things out, but maybe not the way you're thinking. And when it's not the way you're thinking, sometimes our temptation as human beings is to be like, you know what? Forget it. 
So we see a little bit of ourselves in that. So before you look at the Jews and you get all judgmental, be careful, okay? But to really understand the meaning behind this, I want to just go back a few verses. Because what you find out is just a few verses before this, Jesus shares this parable. And the parable is some, something you might be familiar with, but it's, part of the, it's really part of the narrative of the triumphal entry. They go one right into another. And so I'm going to go to Luke 19. We're going to go to verse 11. We're going to read, this is, this is what Jesus said right before the triumphal entry. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return... Having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told them. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here's your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you've said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. I tell you that, that everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Verse 27. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Whoa. <laughs> and now we go into the triumphal entry. To kind of put this into perspective, I want to just jump down to verse 41 because this is right after he, the triumphal entry. It says this, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? If only you knew, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And so we see a picture here when we look at the whole story, when we look at the parable, and when we look at the triumphal entry, and then we look at his compassion, we see a picture of God's compassion and God's consequences. They're both there. They're both there. He's moved with compassion. He weeps over a city that doesn't know him. He weeps over people. He still does this. For lost people, his heart breaks. His heart breaks for those who reject him. 
Because he knows, and as we're going to read here a little bit more, there are consequences for rejecting Jesus. So for us, it's either God's compassion or God's consequences. He says it in verse 27. Bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule. Consequences. In verse 41, he wept compassion. This is why I'm calling this return of the king. Because <laughs> he says at verse 15 in the parable, he said, at his return, having received authority to be king. That is something that is going to happen. Jesus is returning, and he has authority to be king. And when he returns, there will be an account. In the parable, we learn of a man who's king, and he invests something in his people, and he expects a return on that investment. And he's a rewarder of those who do good with it. And yes, he carries out judgment for those who reject him. I don't know about you. I'm being honest here. I'm uncomfortable thinking about Jesus this way. But it's right here in red letters. Jesus is the one who's saying that that king will bring those who rejected him before him and have them slaughtered. Jesus is saying this. And I'm being honest. I'm not comfortable with it. But can I also just be honest and say, if I was comfortable with everything I read in the scriptures, I probably wouldn't be understanding it well. I'm not God, and he's going to say and do things that I don't understand. And if I understood everything he did, then, then I would be him, and I'm not. But this wasn't, just, this wasn't just a parable. This was actually, in some ways, a prophecy. If you turn to Matthew chapter 11... If you turn to Matthew chapter 11 and look at verse 20, Jesus begins to denounce certain cities. Remember, he weeps over cities also. Verse 20, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, the people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. That's strong words right there. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. He, he, Sodom, sulfur from heaven, rained down and completely destroyed the city. They're going to be better off than you. Why? Because I did miracles. I did things. I was moved by compassion to come to you as a human being to your town and do miracles so you can believe and you didn't believe. And it's going to be better for Sodom than it is for you because you had something Sodom never had. Right? Those consequences seem severe. And it was because they rejected Jesus. Seems spiteful, doesn't it? It does to me. I just like to be really transparent. When I interact with Scripture, sometimes I, I really have to dig deep Rather than go, turn away and go, that's not for me. i got to dig deep because why, why would it be like that? We, what we learn in Scripture is that God comes to us first with compassion. 
He came, Jesus came to those cities. In his great compassion, he performed miracles to help people believe in him, receive him as king, re- repent, and yet they didn't. But he came first with compassion. Here's the thing. We're no different. We're surrounded by miracles every day. You say, Pastor, what's, what miracles? Well, we did a, a dedication here a few minutes ago, and I don't know if you saw that miracle, but he's a miracle. You're a miracle. You woke up today with a heartbeat. That's a miracle. You see the way the world's going today, don't you? And yet we're here. We have everything we need. We're surrounded by miracles every day. If you're here today, it's because God wanted you to be here. He wanted you to hear what Jesus did for you. He wanted you to have an opportunity to receive and celebrate his compassion over you. And, but like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, if we reject him, if we refuse to repent, then when the king returns and he's going to return, it won't be good for us either. You're like, Pastor, it's supposed to be Palm Sunday. Do you know what Hosanna means? They were shouting Hosanna. It means save us. Save us. This is Palm Sunday. And what we learn here on Palm Sunday when Jesus told this story is when we reject the king's compassion, we reap the king's consequences. And you might be asking, what kind of compassion is that? I know we're all very moved by the Jesus who has compassion to perform miracles, raise the dead, and ultimately display his compassion when he said, Father, forgive them while he was being crucified. We're all very moved by that kind of compassion. But did you know the consequences? They're not a threat. They're not a threat at all. If they were a threat, why would Jesus weep about it? The consequences of the king are driven by his compassion. The consequences are driven by his compassion. See, we all enter this world broken and sinful under a curse We are already cursed when we enter this world. It's not as though he did that to us. It's something we did to ourselves, right? And the consequences of that are naturally occurring consequences because when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. What separates us from his compassion, that's what sin does. I know this is basic, but we need to be reminded of this sometimes, Especially when I'm talking about the consequences. You're like, man, this is not the message about Jesus I like to hear. Right. I know there's a lot of people who believe we're not born bad, but the world teaches us to be bad. And those people don't have kids. (laughs) No one taught me how to sin. That came naturally. It just does. Pastor, what do you mean? It just does. It comes naturally for me to sin. And if you're being honest, you could say the same thing. It comes comes naturally. We spend our lifetimes trying to learn how not to sin. And we try it in a million different ways. 12 steps here, this book, that book, whatever else. And we know ultimately it's only God that can change us from the inside out. And even then, sanctification is a lifelong process. We're born into sin. And that sin separates us 
from God. And he knows that, and that's why he weeps. He weeps for you when you reject him. He weeps when life's consequences happen to you because of bad choices. And he ultimately weeps when you're separated from him because if that's the case in this life, unless something changes, that will be the case for eternity. If we're separated from him in this life, unless something changes, that will be the case in eternity. See, God is perfect, and so is heaven. This is why when, we're sin, when we sin, we're separated from God, because he's perfect, and we can't, he can't be in contact with sin. And this is also why we all look forward to heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. Why? Because we won't have any of this nonsense we have here on earth. We won't have any of this sinful, broken, selfish nonsense. We won't have any disease. We won't have any greed. We won't have any of these things that plague us today. People making decisions that aren't based on God's word, that hurt themselves and others. We won't have any of those things. It's going to be a perfect place. But you and I, we're not perfect. So how does that work? How do we get into a perfect place and bring our stinking imperfection into that place and it not become imperfect just like this world? Are you tracking with me here? There is no way for us to enter heaven in our condition unless something's done about it. And that's why Jesus came. He saw that. He saw that separation. And he knew that separation was inevitable for eternity unless something changed, unless something had to happen. And he was moved with compassion and he wept. Why? Not because he's going to zap you with a lightning bolt if you reject him. Because he knows if you don't accept him, there's no other way for you to get there. If there was any other way for you to get to heaven, why would the cross have been necessary? It would be a mockery. Jesus knew the only way for this to work was for God's justice to be paid out on him at the cross. And so he's moved with compassion and he's moved to touch your life with compassion. And he weeps for those who reject that compassion because he knows the consequences of that compassion. It's not that he's waiting so spitefully it's that he's hanging, hoping that you would come and you would receive his compassion and receive him as king because that's what this is all about. It says at his return, and he said, those who didn't receive me as king, bring them before me. The return of the king. It was at his return. He says that to, to Chorazin and Bethsaida, you, it's, it's not that you... You didn't like me doing your, my miracles. You didn't receive me. You didn't repent. You didn't let, let me be your king. And that's the difference between compassion and consequence. Is, is he going to be king over your life? Consequences driven by compassion. The compassion shown at the cross is the answer to this. God is just. He needed justice to be served, so it was served on Jesus. And when Jesus took our sin on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Because the minute he bore our sin, one passage actually says he became sin. He then was separated from God the Father. He experienced our condition on the cross. There's something strange Jesus says at the end of the passage on the triumphal entry. So he comes into Jerusalem. And they're all waving the palm branches. And everybody's shouting. It's a big hoopla. And the Pharisees come along and they say, hey, quiet your people down. This is a little too much. Of course, the Pharisees didn't like it, right? It was beyond their control. And his response to that is curious. We know this verse, and I think sometimes we miss the meaning of this verse. He says, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The rocks would cry out. And I think a lot of times we think this is a literal thing. Like if if God's people don't praise him, then the rocks, the mountains are going to praise him. I tell you, they're already praising him. That's not what this meant. This was a prophecy. He was talking, and he, he mentioned, he, you go on to read it, he's talking about the siege of Jerusalem that was just going to happen a few decades later. That's why he's weeping. He's saying, if only you knew, but you, didn't, you won't receive me. And so the day is coming when the walls are going to fall down around you and the rocks are going to cry out. Did you know that when the siege of Jerusalem happened, they were using catapults, and when those stones were launched towards the walls, they actually, because of the air whizzing by them, they actually made a sound? They made a sound. I tried really hard to find it so we could play it. I couldn't find it. But they actually made a crowd. When Jesus said these rocks are going to crowd, he was actually prophesying about the siege of Jerusalem. And that's why he was so upset. That's why he was so uh, torn up about this. Because he didn't want to see that happen. And yet because they didn't receive him as king. They received the consequences. And the rocks sure did cry out. And the question is today, (laughs) is that going to be true in your life too? What moves Jesus so is that when they reject him, they reject the help they so badly needed. And the same is true for us. When we reject him, when we don't repent, we set ourselves up to be the very ones on the receiving end of some rocks crying out because, hey, that's life. But when we do receive him, it's his compassion we receive and not condemnation. And that's really what Palm Sunday is all about. To kick off Holy Week. To say there's two choices being laid before you. Is it going to be my compassion or consequences? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, they were crying out, Hosanna. Which means save us. Lord, save us. That's our prayer today. Save us. Save us from our sins. Save us from from ourselves. The consequences of our sin. But we want to also thank you for your compassion. 
the compassion that drove you to leave heaven, come to earth and live life like we do, suffer the, the effects of this broken, sinful human world like we do, subject yourself to death on a cross for our sin, all of that moved by compassion to make a way for us to receive your righteousness so that, yes, we can go to heaven, but also you can bring heaven into our world as we live it here. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, that you would move hearts to receive that compassion or to return to that compassion, to return to you, King Jesus.